So thank you, Deborah. Even though I'm pretty familiar with the legend of the Buddha's life, it's interesting to hear it again, told in different voices, different ways, and to hear this interpretation by Thich Nhat Hanh, which is uh, very poetic. And just to acknowledge that because this is a story, it's a myth, it's a, a legend, and one that's pretty ancient. So each of us, in some way, we need to translate it for ourselves into the context of our own lives. So I don't know about for you, but for me at least, for a long time the Buddha was just an image, just a, a statue, an Asian-looking gold or stone figure, and it seemed exotic or remote or, or distant. And I've had to work to make those connections to see how is what we know of the Buddha's life in India 2,600 years ago, how does it relate to my life here in Aotearoa, New Zealand in 2022? And as I've done that work, I've actually been amazed at how relevant so much of what he taught is. His actual teachings, almost independent of the legend around him, are still amazingly relevant. So just by way of comparison, if you think about, say, Shakespeare, I'm guessing many of you had to read at least some Shakespeare in high school, right? And it was pretty challenging. We had, even though he, Shakespeare lived in England and he wrote in English, he wrote 450 years ago and it takes effort to understand Shakespeare. Well, by comparison, the Buddha was 2,000 years earlier than Shakespeare in a very different culture in India. So it's not surprising if at first it might feel a little difficult to relate to. But as I said, so much of what the Buddha actually taught is incredibly universal. If it wasn't, we all would not be sitting here today. So just to highlight that. And we'll be exploring that more in our groups after morning tea. But I wanted to just uh, give a little bit more context from the Buddha's early life. So as I think you know, before the Buddha became the Buddha, so the Buddha is a title, it means awakened one. Before that, as Deborah mentioned, he was born as Siddhartha Gautama in northern India about 2,600 years ago. So you had a flavor from that reading that he was born into this pretty high-status, high-class life. And he literally lived in a palace for 29 or so years of his life because his father, the king, was trying to protect him. He wanted him to become a world leader, not a monastic. So he kept him in this sheltered life. And we might think on hearing that, well, this guy lived in a palace. That doesn't relate to me. But I like to think of this palace that the Buddha lived in metaphorically as the palace of delusion. And if we think of it as that metaphor, all of us have various ways that we try to live in our own palaces of delusion. And so in many ways this path is having the courage to step out of that palace, just like the Buddha eventually did. So we all have our strategies of ways that we try to create a safe place for ourselves, try to stay comfortable and cozy, but it's as a cost, because that comfort is 
often fundamentally disconnected from reality. And it's also fundamentally unstable because it's based on delusion. The delusion that we are in ultimate control and that we can somehow permanently avoid whatever's unpleasant and that we can somehow hold on to whatever is pleasant and as the saying goes, live happily ever after. And as you all know, not only is that not possible, it takes a lot of effort to keep chasing after external happiness and avoiding unhappiness, all the while trying to convince ourselves that we're fine, everything's fine, we're making it, we're happy, we're successful, and so on. Now that strategy didn't work for the Buddha to be, either. And at some point he had an existential crisis. And so he asked his charioteer to take him out of the confines of the palace. And this is where, according to the legend, he ran into these four heavenly messengers, as they're known. So, according to the legend, this was the first time ever that the Buddha saw somebody who was really ill. It's the first time he saw somebody who was very old, aged. And it was the first time he saw someone who had died. And then on the fourth visit, he saw a wandering ascetic, a spiritual practitioner, a contemplative. And something about that contemplative's way of being really touched him. It gave him a sense of other possibilities, that there might be more to life than just trying to get material happiness and indulging in sense pleasures, and at the same time desperately denying the truth of our vulnerability and mortality. So these mythical heavenly messengers, they acted as the Buddha's wake-up call, and they totally changed the direction of his life. He ran away from the palace and he became a contemplative himself and he spent the next seven years practicing rigorously with all the renowned spiritual teachers of his day. And eventually, about, after about seven years, he attained complete freedom of heart and mind, liberation, nibbana. And then he went on to teach what he'd learned for about the next 35 years until he died at the age of 80. So that's a pretty brief summary of the Buddha's life. And I'd like to stay with just the early part of it for now. So the beginning of his journey, not just his literal birth, but his birth into the spiritual life to see if there are any parallels in our own lives. So let's just take this idea of the palace of delusion. I wonder if for any of you, if you look back over your own lives, was there something that you really believed or desperately hoped was going to make you ultimately happy? Was there some strategy that you had for trying to live happily ever after that at some point you realized actually wasn't working so well? Can anyone think of anything like that? Anyone have an example they might be willing to share? Yeah. 